with the Humane Society of the United States, and you're listening to KBOO Portland. You're listening to KBOO Community Radio, and we're nearing the end of our fall membership drive. We only have a few days left to meet our $55,000 goal, and you can do your part by going to kboo.fm slash give to make a contribution today. All donations will be matched up to $14,000 thanks to a generous group of donors. KBOO's independent programming is only possible with your support. Give now at kboo.fm slash give. Are you a fan of early rock and roll, doo-wop, rhythm and blues, and 70s rock? If so, The Roots of Rock and Roll is the show for you, and KBOO Portland is the place to be Friday afternoons at 3. The LFAR will give you a history lesson from the birth of rock and roll through the 50s and 60s. And Ray Bodwell will mine the 60s and 70s for the deep cuts, hidden gems, and variety that you won't hear on generic classic rock stations. So tune in to The Roots of Rock and Roll, Fridays at 3 p.m. on KBOO Portland, your community radio station. Hey yo, this is Clipping. You're listening to KBOO. To you, the nine-to-fiver, just making your way home. To you, the all-night driver, out in your cab alone. To you, waiting for lunch break, as the minutes drag so slow. Take courage, turn the volume up, it's Labor Radio. Tonight's show is a repeat of Labor Radio show we did two years ago with Joe Burns, author of Class Struggle Unionism. Joe's going to be in town on this Saturday, October 28th, 7 to 9 p.m. at the Oregon Public House, 700 Northeast Deacon. If you like this show, come have a spend an evening with Joe Burns. Good evening and welcome to Labor Radio. Of the working class, by the working class, for the working class. I'm Laura Wadlin. Here with my co-host, Jamie Partridge. Hi, Jamie. Hey, Laura. Tonight, our guest is Joe Burns, longtime labor organizer and author of several books, Reviving the Strike, Strike Back, and forthcoming Class Struggle Unionism. Welcome, Joe. Uh, Thank you. Uh, It's nice to be here. Thanks for being here. So to begin with, what is Class Struggle Unionism? If you look at the first uh, 100 years of trade unionism up until the 1980s, there were really two sort of worldviews on trade unionism. Um, One of them was called uh, business unionism, and this is a form of unionism that, you know, we should be pretty familiar with, where it's, uh, you know, a lot of it is, you know, fairly staff-driven. They see their role as pretty narrowly about... uh, representing a particular set of workers at a plant or an industry and don't really have a vision of like a broader role for themselves in society. And on a very important question, they see themselves as basically just the slogan could be a fair day's wage for a fair day's work. They have a very limited view of the employment transaction. Um, Posed to that, there's a long, rich history of what can be called class struggle unionism. And when we think of the great struggles in labor history, like the industrial workers of the world who led the strike wave in the 1910s, we look at the 
groups affiliated with the Communist Party who led some fairly militant strikes in the 1920s. The upsurges of the 1930s, which built our unions, had like socialists and uh, involved in many, many of the struggles. And even beyond that, um, what we find is a, a sort of common theme is that uh, the slogan defining this group could, um, is more along the lines of labor creates all wealth. And, and that really is kind of the key point of class struggle unionism. Class struggle unionists look at the employment transaction and say, hey, workers are the ones who create all wealth in society, but that's separated from workers and it creates a class of people, the billionaire class or the, um, some folks call them the capitalist class, but basically a class of people who live off the labor of others. Now, a lot of people have that philosophy outside of labor, but these folks, the class struggle unionists, it tied into every aspect of their unionism flowed from that basic understanding. And it produced a form of unionism that was very much based in shop for struggle. It was based on this idea that workers and management, labor and management had irreconcilable differences. It led to, you know, really hard fought struggle. It led to this idea that we need to fight for the entire working class, anti-racist, anti-sexist, fighting um, for immigrant rights. And it's, it's sort of a comprehensive package. And that's really what my book's about is explaining that philosophy. Great. So you, you also introduce a third type of unionism, which you call labor liberalism. And you have this great chart in your book, which takes up each of these three types of unionism side by side on questions of shop floor organization, union democracy, role of the middle class, organizing the unorganized, positions on social issues, and conflict with the employers. And you argue that business unionism superseded class struggle unionism as the dominant type in the 50s, and that labor liberalism became the dominant trend in the 90s to today. So. Um, can you talk? Can you talk about? Um, well, introduce this uh, this labor liberalism and uh, talk about the historical evolution and some examples. You gave some examples of class struggle unionism, but if you could give it some examples of the other trends as well. Yeah, no, certainly. So, I started doing labor work in the mid nineteen eighties, um, and during that period, there was you know some uh, very intense class struggle um, where local unions were fighting back against, uh, you know, this sort of union busting and industry after industry. And at that time, there were, you know, in the 1970s, out of the student and anti-war and civil rights and women's movement, thousands of young socialist, you know, activists who had become a lot more radical through their activism entered the workplace because they saw the workplace as a key uh, forum for struggle for building a better society and really had this sort of class struggle unionist. So I got the tail end of it. But then as we went through the 1980s, um, you know, and, and I talk about it in my book, Reviving the Strike, you know, we ran into a lot of problems with, with strikes and so forth. And they're developed a sort of third way. And I call it, um, I now call it labor liberalism. And what this is, is, uh, you know, it is this sort of middle path where 
folks, um, you know, rather than the sort of sharp class on class struggle that these sort of bitter strikes were producing, they said that there was a different way that we could start, you know, going away from the workplace, doing, you know, community outreach, we could do corporate campaigns, which was a way of, you know, avoiding these sort of open-ended strikes. They had a lot, of the, a lot of other tactics that they said we could do. But in the process, what happened is they um, went further and further from the workplace and really started to develop a distinct form of unionism, which lost a lot of the key features of class struggle unionism. Might help to give a couple examples. So, um, in the 1990s, there was what was called the organizing approach. Um, you know, John Sweeney became the president of the uh, uh, AFL-CIO. You had Andy Stern leading the Service Employees International Union, and they started to develop this form of unionism that, on the one hand, was very progressive because they talked about taking progressive issues on social issues. Um, immigrants' rights, uh, you know, really a market improvement over the real conservative uh, uh, AFL business unionists. But on the other hand, they started to build these organizations that were further and further separated from the workers. Um, they created these huge mega locals and, and in many ways became less democratic than even the business unions. Um, they started to develop these initiatives that, you know, veered away from traditional unionism. So started putting effort into efforts like the Fight for 15, which on the one hand, uh, it's good because it's taking on an industry approach. But the, but the problem is, you know, unlike traditional unionism and class struggle unionism, which are sort of rooted among groups of workers, and when you call strikes, they're real strikes. And we're seeing that in recent you know, with these uh, production workers striking over the last years, they're markedly different than these um, sort of media spectacles where they would call a nationwide strike of McDonald's and maybe have a handful of fired workers striking, but it wasn't really a strike. So it became very, very different from what traditional unions look like in a whole host of areas. And that's why I've kind of, I, I, and, and, and they really gained a lot of influence in the labor movement and even on the labor left. Um, I'm arguing that, um, you know, while they had a lot of good things that they did, they had a lot of bad things, and it's time to return more towards the uh, traditional class struggle unionism, because that's really the only hope for the working class. Uh, one way you differentiate between these different trends is uh, the role of the middle class. So could you explain what do you mean exactly by middle class and how does that role uh, differentiate the three different trends? So if you look at the business unionists, um, a lot of those um, you know, had a heavy emphasis and they developed out a particular labor either a, a particular employers or industries or in the case of like construction out of the trades, you know, um, and a lot of their staff are going to be people who rose through the ranks uh, for better or for worse, because a lot of them had, you know, fairly conservative ideas. A lot of them were bureaucratic, but the, the whole organization was kind of rooted around employers. Um, they had professionals who probably had too much influence, but those would be like sort of outside lawyers, um, you know, who were, you know, a, a further conservatizing force. Um, the class struggle unionists, on the other hand, one of the hallmarks of class struggle unionism is a belief in the sort of self-emancipation of the working class. Class struggle unionists believe that 
uh, you know, and, and all the ones I've known over the years, you know, if you look at groups like Labor Notes and Teamsters for Democratic Union, Black Workers for Justice, a lot of the groups that came out of that endured from the, you know, the, the 1970s era of class struggle unionism, uh, you know, they're, they're really into rank and file power. They're into challenging the labor bureaucracy. They believe that there's different interests, even though people can be staff and play a good role in staff, that you are what you eat, you know, and, and your interests aren't the same as necessarily the folks on the shop floor. And we see that in the current strike wave, you know, that we could talk about, about the, the divide between the aspirations of the workers who are striking and then the settlements they get back. Um, it, there's just a really different thought process. Um, and then we got these labor liberals where, you know, the service employees, SEIU, for example, the international union starts to be, they sort of capture it and then it becomes populated by all of these people who may never have even worked in the industry. They, the national comes in and merges a couple international, merges a couple locals, installs leaders who were never janitors in their life. You know, they, they don't know anything about the industry and they, you know, they, they're out of college and they might've started as an organizer, but they take on the mantle that now they're not just assisting the labor movement. I'm a labor staff, but I view my role as assisting the flight attendants or assisting whatever the nurses or whatever workers I'm working with, helping them to argue their case with, with the company and with management and make their decisions. But these people start taking it over. Take worker centers, for example. A lot of them folks get fed up with the labor movement because they say it's so bureaucratic, but then they create these worker centers, which structurally are set up as nonprofits, so the workers can't even vote for the for their leaders or the board of directors, and outside funders are you know helping to set priorities. So I, so it's so it's a very it starts to look very very different than sort of classic trade unionism, and, and the role of the middle class you know becomes harder to find because these folks get a staff job and then redefine themselves as their trade unionists just because they happen to get a job there. Got it. That's a, that's a really clarifying, thank you. What, so what is the difference between these, each of these trends on organizing the unorganized? So, I, you know, I think that one of the problems with business unionism in the 1970s and 80s, you know, was captured, you know, by, you know, I think George Meany, the, who was this conservative old, uh, worthless head of the AFL uh, the CIO from the late 50s, I think, until the 80s. Um, just horrible, but, you know, he, he, he basically just, you know, wrote off the rest of the working class and said we don't need to organize them, um, you know, which is fundamentally incorrect. The good thing about the labor liberals is they think big, right? And that's why I think they've had so much influence over the last couple of decades is they're saying, hey, we can't just represent 6% of the workforce. We need to um, we need to do more. So, so that's one of the great things that they've done for the labor movement is get us to think broader and out, you know, outside of the boxes. So, so I'll, I'll give them snaps for that. Um, class struggle unionists, you know, have long, you know, raised the banner of organizing the South, organizing the unorganized. If you go back in history, class struggle unionists fought it out, you know, within the AFL and outside for industrial unionism in the 1930s and beyond. So, so I think they share that sort of vision. Um, but I, but I don't think the class struggle unionists, the, the, the labor liberals might say that's, 
the most important, and we're going to kind of forget the battles that are going on among our existing workers, the class struggle unionists see their, see the fight of the organized section of the working class as critical to, to organizing the unorganized, because if we can't fight and build strong unions, how are we going to convince the rest of the working class to join our unions? If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Labor Radio, KBOO Portland. Our guest is Joe Burns, author of Class Struggle Unionism, and KBOO is your community, not corporate-controlled radio station. We don't take any big corporate money, and we depend on community folks like yourselves to survive. And here at the end of the year, we need donations, so please go to kboo.fm. Joe, could you tell us what is the difference between the trends in their positions on social issues. I know you mentioned a little bit before about labor, labor, uh, liberalists uh, taking more liberal positions on social issues, but what about the other two trends? Um, I, I Look, at, in the 1980s, the business unionists were absolutely horrible on a whole range of issues. Um, they were anti-immigrant. Um, their response to the, you know, sort of a crisis in the auto industry in the early uh, 1980s was to, uh, you know, get a bunch of union people up and destroy Toyotas on camera. You know, that was like, it was this anti-immigrant, anti-foreign, um, you know, really backwards viewpoints that was expressed um, legislatively as well. Um so the the good thing about the you know sort of trend of labor liberalism is you start advancing a whole set of ideas that are that are different um and you know more progressive in terms of representing the entire class the what what I like to say and a lot of them call themselves social unionists you know they they would say that 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 we're social unionists i think in the book i say you know that piece of it's good and i say all class struggle unionists are social unionists we all believe in fighting for the entire working class um but not all social unionists are class struggle unionists meaning uh, a lot of the social unionists forget about the sort of class on class struggle, the us and them versus them and us uh, features of uh, class struggle unionism and and end up kind of drifting into being more like a, a an advocacy group tied into the edges of the Democratic Party. So a lot of their strike action isn't really to win strikes for workers. It's to help pass legislation, whether it's the fight for 15 or, or raising the minimum wage or whatever it is. Um, and so even though they're progressive, they miss out on some of the other aspects. Well, so you this brings in, and the emphasis on legislation brings in the... Um, the question about conflict with employers and how the the difference between the the different trends, particularly labor liberalism and class struggle unionism, on conflicts with employers. Maybe you could say a little bit about some examples, particularly yeah. emphasizing, I would say, SEIU. But yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, so. If you look at, you know, just real briefly on class struggle unionism and uh, and uh, business unionism, 
uh, there's a good book by Tony Gilpin, uh, The Long Deep Grudge, about the Farm Implement Union, which uh, kind of details the different approaches in the early 1950s between Walter Ruther's UAW and the FE, which was one of the left-led unions. And on the shop floor, you know, just the sort of vicious fights that the that the uh, the left-led FE union was fighting, and how they got attacked by the government and the UAW uh, for doing that. That's really sort of the legacy of the class struggle unionists. You flip forward a, a few decades, and you know, you start running into you know SEIU, who in the 90s everyone thought they were so progressive, like it was like they had their purple jackets and they were leading the way, and it was, you know, they were had a lot of activism, so there's a lot of excitement around it. The new voices gets in, and the AFL, everyone thinks it's a new day, except some of us. I I didn't, but uh, you know, you know, and then but then you've got, but then how do you explain the development of leaders like Andy Stern? who, you know, I quote in the book, he talks, builds this labor partnership at Kaiser, you know, the healthcare and gushes that like, oh, he, he was like, I was so proud because I saw labor and management sitting in there talking about the contract. And I couldn't tell who was on what side, which one was labor and which one's the company. Like he thinks that's a good thing, you know, as opposed to most workers who want their unions to aggressively, defend their interests and not be in bed with the boss. So so I think that was really, it, it wasn't just an anomaly, it's kind of, you know, tied into their particular worldview uh, where they don't see this sort of class struggle uh, as important. You know, I, I raised the question, I mean, you know, I, I call it a different trend, but they're really, they never did break with business unionism, you know, in terms of the fundamentals of of you know, do you see an irreconcilable difference between labor and capital? And 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 on that fundamental question, you know, I think they they side squarely with the business unionists. You mentioned earlier uh, TDU, the uh, Teamsters for a Democratic Union caucus within the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, and um, that makes me think about what are the differences between these trends on the question of union democracy so and some of this we can see from the current strike wave or, or mini strike wave that's going on across the country um the a lot of the business unions are very undemocratic you look at their bargaining and what's going on these workers go out on strike they have no clue about what's going on in the bargaining, even though they're out on strike, they don't get any details. It's held like the state secret, you know, the, the results of the bargaining. And then some of them have, you know, these sort of voting process like the stagehands, the IATSE, where a majority of workers voted and it still gets, uh, you know, gets imposed. Um, so that's fairly typical of business unionism. You know, really, they think the staff are the experts, uh, bureaucratic, maybe often corrupt. Uh, many of, uh, you know, is a, is a real problem. Um, class struggle unionists, you know, I, I, it, it's, you know, in the 1970s, you know, the, a lot of the folks who went into the labor movement and 
they were leftists who were identified as class struggle unionists. What they would do is they would go into the plant, um, put together a rank and file caucus, you know, maybe put out a newsletter, um, fight against bad contracts, pick fights with the supervisors. I think they all had, there were different approaches about how people did it, but it was all based on this idea that, you know, that the power came from the workers. Um, so you saw a heavy emphasis in these union democracy. Teamsters for Democratic Union was uh, started by folks who were, you know, socialists and uh, class struggle unionists and who built an enduring organization, you know, that's lasted over the decades. Um, the labor liberals, uh, Steve Early, who you, you all may have uh, read some of his books, uh, uh, and who really, you know, I don't think he, he didn't talk about this as labor liberals, but I think he identified the problems with this form of unionism and wrote a lot about it. And, you know, one of his quotes that I like to quote a lot is, he said he became concerned that these uh, unions like SEIU and so forth were becoming even more democrat undemocratic than the business unionisms, unions that they were seeking to challenge. You know, just creating these mega locals of like, all the way up and down the East Coast, all the janitors in one local. Well, how, how, how can you have any influence, you know, in an organization like that? They, they don't care, you know. Carpenters, they're a little bit different, not quite the labor liberals, but creating these huge locals. So, so I think it's a, a real difference in terms of, you know, sort of worker control and democracy. But class struggle unionists, all of them, I know, you know, I, I think folks really believe in, in uh, in you know, sort of the idea that this is a working class struggle and the workers need to be in charge of their own, own fight. We're not here to save workers. We're here to help them fight. Now within the labor left, the labor notes, troublemakers, and the DSA labor crowd, the rank and file strategy is really popular. It encourages socialists to embed in strategic industries form rank-and-file caucuses and fight the bosses with or without the union leadership, and in some cases seek to take over union leadership, such as with uh, Teamsters for a Democratic Union. So uh, how does your vision of class struggle unionism fit with or uh, contrast with the rank-and-file strategy? So. When I, when I wrote the book, Class Struggle Unionism, what, what I tried to do was start from the basic proposition that uh, workers and employers have different interests and that the unionism flows from that. But I also recognize that within that broad framework, there's a lot of different approaches, right? So there's, you know, the IWW and Solidarity Unions, where they talk about creating new organizations. You have the um, you know, I think within the class struggle union family, you have some who say, let's build, uh, you know, like the UE, the United Electrical Workers, let's try and keep alive one of the old left unions. Um, and then you have, you know, the sort of rank and file strategy, um, which, uh, you know, I, I kind of view that at least when I think about it as more of a subset of class struggle unionism. And I think part of the problem with, you know, I kind of followed from a distance the sort of debate within DSA a couple of years ago. 
and I, I thought I saw folks talking past the, each other a little bit because it didn't really reference the, the overall philosophy is class struggle unionism. And then within that, you have a couple different strategies. You have like the rank and file strategy, you have the militant minority, you have a number of, you know, sort of organizing techniques and so forth. Um, you know, so, so I try and give voice to all of those. Um, in general, I, you know, I think it, you can't, the, the labor movement is so screwed up today. I mean, that's that's what I think labor liberalism tries to gloss over. But I mean, you can go industry by industry, or you could go alphabetically. You can go through the 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 list of unions. And I, one of the problems with this mini strike wave we're seeing going on is it you know it's heartening to see the workers standing up and fighting. I mean, it's just like fighting to eliminate two tier. You know where. The, their quotes are like heartwarming, you know, because they're 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 saying we're going to fight for a new generation of workers, and we're fighting for everybody. And then you contrast them to the organizations which are supposed to be leading the battles, and the sort of timidity of these organizations and their bureaucracy. So, um, so, so yeah. So we need you know a new generation of class struggle unionists to go in and. And and we one of our tasks is to reform our unions and transform them into fighting organizations that are worthy of the workers who want this 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 shows that workers want to engage in struggle. They just need the vehicle to do it. And to do that, we need to reform our unions. We need to put them on a class struggle basis. And 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 that takes folks not just going into staff jobs, but all levels of the uh, or areas of the labor movement and being willing to challenge um, those who don't want to fight, work with them when they do and push past them when they don't. Anyway. <laughs> Earlier, you mentioned the framework favored by the industrial workers of the world, the IWW, called Solidarity Unionism. And uh, this approach steers clear of legal recognition and collective bargaining and no strike agreements. How is your vision different from this? I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess I have a big tent approach. Um, there's class struggle unionists who fight within the existing framework. And because that's where the workers are. So if we're going to say we're all going to go into these pure organizations, I mean, that was one of the debate in the 1910s between William Z. Foster and uh, Big Bill Haywood, uh, who was in the IWW. And they they argued about, you know, should, should folks stay in the industrial workers of the world or should they join the AFL unions where millions and millions of workers are? You know, part of the problem is if you stay in these sort of isolated organizations, um, just think if you were a John Deere factory worker and you could help, help lead, you know, from the rank and file, like what your influence would be. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm friendly with uh, the, the, the idea of uh, solidarity unionism. I think that the piece that I like about it is they, they're thinking outside of the conventions of trade unionism. I think w one of the key points is you cannot have class struggle unionism if you don't have class struggle tactics. As long as we're stuck within this web of legal restrictions that make us weak, our unions are gonna be weak. And when our unions are gonna be weak, we're gonna be compromising and we're not gonna be able to 
deliver the sort of fight that's going to produce, you know, the gains we need and the workers need. So, so I think in that regard, I, I, I like them when they, when they step out of, uh, out of that. I think there's 